Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have the folks who help others create their businesses. And we have the do-it-yourselfers like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are one or more of the above, and like you, many folks who tune in every week are all of the above simultaneously, take a moment, explore our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, And while you're on the subject, subscribe to our iTunes channel. You'll get fresh content every week. You'll get immediate access to over 240 episodes on a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. And when you see an episode you like, give it five stars because that helps us serve more business creators just like you. All right. Today's topic is going to be one of those things that we – address with our masterminds, we address with our coaches, we address with ourselves at 3 o'clock in the morning when we're trying to make a very important decision about how we make our brilliance and passion accessible and available to our market. And this is that topic, how to raise your prices and not lose customers. We have a lot we're going to cover today and hopefully something that we share with you over the next 57 minutes is going to reveal some sort of block that we can move aside or some sort of avenue that we can pave and clear for you so that you can raise your prices and not only not lose customers, but potentially gain customers. To help us with that today, we have with us somebody who I've wanted to have on the Business Creators Radio Show for a good while now. I've been following this guy for about a year and We first connected about two months ago, and just with our schedules, we've been looking for a way to get him on Business Creators Radio Show, and I'm so happy that today is that day. His name is Patrick Campbell. He is somebody who has seen inside more subscription and SAAS or SaaS companies than anybody else in the world, is the co-founder and CEO of a company called ProfitWell, formerly known as Price Intelligently. Patrick is leading a team, a scrappy team rather, of 40, who are helping some of the world's best companies like Zapier and Wistia, companies that many business creators have heard of and use on a daily basis, identify pricing and growth strategies that are actually working today. Patrick has bootstrapped ProfitWell from nothing in 2012, just six years ago, to $10 million last year in 2017, a leap of zero to $10 million in five years sounds pretty good to me. So let's meet this gentleman. Patrick Campbell, come on in. The weather's fine. (laughs) Good to be here. Welcome, welcome. I love it. Awesome. So what I'd like to do here, especially for our guests who are just getting a chance to get to know you, who may be listening to this through their live streams and opening up separate browser tabs asking, who is this Patrick Campbell guy, is let's take a step back. I just told the world a little bit about what you've been doing with ProfitWell and the journey you've made over the past few years. But let's take a step back and let's explore a little bit more about your personal journey, what's brought you to where you are today, sharing with business creators from the intersection of your brilliance and passions. Tell us a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, so just in my background, how I got here, all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so my background, econometrics and math, I'm from uh, – I'm from Wisconsin, so I'm from um, a town with more cows than people. So that's where I kind of started, uh, you know, working my way into math and science, basically, because it was one of those things where you had a lot of time on your hands growing up in kind of rural America and went to school in Illinois. And then I ended up, um, from a professional standpoint, I worked in D.C. in the intelligence community for a little while doing kind of economic modeling and then um, ended up uh, coming to Boston and working in Google um, in order to kind of, you know, basically cut my teeth in the tech industry, and and that's that's kind of what led me to to price intelligently and profit well. But um, yeah, it's funny because when you ask that type of question, I'm thinking, oh, what are the the things outside of work? And I'm like, I don't know if there's anything else outside of work, uh, and that might be uh, might be sad, but that's kind of reality. Right, 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 right. So let's dive into this because we have a lot to cover. And I think before we can even discuss raising prices and keeping customers, let's explore one of the foundational topics, which is why do you need to be customer obsessed and how do you foster that culture? Yeah, that's a great question. I think customer obsession it, it's it's a product. It, it's not even you know a lot of people look at customer obsession or customer research as basically you know oh it's a nice to have and in in reality today it's 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 gone from being a nice to have to being what you absolutely need to have when you're building a particular company and it really doesn't matter if you're a, a tech company a non-tech company a retail company an e-commerce company a brick and mortar company you're selling manufacturing goods whatever business you're in right now. Because there are so many new businesses out there, because everyone's doing the same types of advertising, because market density is getting so high at this point, the customer is really the only person who is going to reveal the secrets, if you will, around how to build your company, how to price your product, which I know is what we're talking a lot about today. Um, and they're, they're really the only ones who are going to be able to, to kind of have that focus. And you know, maybe 10 years ago, you could kind of brute force your way to your pricing or your product or you know kind of acquisition but today you you really need to have a little bit more of a scalpel approach kind of understanding and from a cultural standpoint that really comes into play when you're looking at things like you know making sure that you're basically having your entire company fine-tuned and close to that particular company or customer and oftentimes you know most people who are not customer focused they end up kind of washing out and and not really being successful and so there's a lot of things we can get into on how to actually you know push your company this this way but the short story is is it's it's really just a reality of growth at this point sure sure so what are some of the key indicators as we start to think about pricing and knowing if your pricing strategy is killing your business? That's a great question. So I would say from a a numbers perspective, one really big key indicator is typically if your average revenue per customer, um, particularly if you're a, a subscription business, but even if you're not, if that repeat purchase rate and that average revenue that you're getting per customer over their lifetime isn't increasing, uh, it's typically a sign that your pricing hasn't been hasn't been tinkered with enough or, or, or is problematic. And the reason for this is because your your products and your 
brand are constantly improving and your price being the exchange rate on the value that you're providing that particular piece means that as your brand and as your product improves your price should improve as well um, so that's a really good economic piece you can look at in your business but from a little bit more qualitative aspect if you're getting no pushback or no objections from your actual sales process uh, and that could be you know really really high conversion rates if you don't have a sales team or even just literally no one is objecting to when you're putting a proposal out if you're a little bit more of a traditional sales team that's a really good easy qualitative thing to spot to at least know that there's probably some room to move your pricing at some point yeah, yeah, very true. So a lot of times we see issues with price increases or changing your price having to do with fear. And we'll get to that in a moment. But before we get there, you had mentioned in the green room something about quantified buyer personas. And I think as we think about some of the indicators of how the pricing strategy may be slowly strangling our business, you know, let's look at what some of these buyer personas are. What is a quantified buyer persona, and why is this so important to everything we're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So, so a, a buyer persona or customer profile, and I, I know it's talked a lot about in in content, is it's it's basically a measurement of of who you're selling to. And the quantified buyer persona, it basically takes those classic buyer personas that HubSpot, Marketo, and all these other you know companies have been talking about for a decade at this point, and it just takes it to that next level of understanding actually what those buyers are, are almost thinking from a data perspective. And so more specifically, what that means is it's not really important or it's not necessarily as useful to understand that, oh, we're selling to sales Sally, right? Like that's a classic cute name for a buyer persona. It's, it's more powerful right. to understand that sales Sally is sales teams between one and 10 people. They really, really like these features. They don't really like these features. The willingness to pay for that Sally is $100 per user. The LTV or the lifetime value of that user is X. The customer acquisition cost is Y. Basically what you're doing is, is you're taking these from kind of fluffy concepts essentially and you're making them actually super super useful from a quantified basis because that allows you to understand well hey maybe Sally just isn't profitable that persona so why are we chasing him or her in order to acquire that customer um, and from a pricing perspective these are super useful because when you're talking about pricing and again it, it doesn't matter what your business is ultimately that those buyer personas are who you're selling to. Those are the people you're trying to convert or trying to retain or trying to, to basically get money from. And so if you don't know who those buyers are, there's, there's no way you're going to know how to have a good or a proper pricing strategy, let alone if you're, if you're having a bad pricing strategy. Yeah, very true. Very true. Now, let's get into the idea of fear. And in your work with your customers in terms of helping them raise their prices and such, uh, what are some of the things you've seen? And maybe it's fear, maybe it's something else. Some of the reasons they've given you, some of the excuses they've given, if you want to use that phrase. But what are some of the things you've seen get in the way of a business creator or a business owner being willing to raise their price when really they need to? Because when they look at their numbers, they're actually kind of losing money on this whole deal. Yeah, I think, frankly, it, there's a couple of aspects. In, in one, you kind of alluded to it just at the end there, which is 
a lot of people just don't know their numbers. And I'm not even talking about the quantified buyer persona aspect, but they, they don't even know that they're losing money on a particular customer. And, and that's, that's pretty scary, especially in higher growth companies, because you know, they're, they're getting funding, they're doing a bunch of different things, and they're just throwing that money down the drain because those customers aren't profitable and they don't, they don't know that. Um, but, but kind of you know, gets to something else that you, know, you and I were chatting a little bit in the green room about, which is a lot of times it's, it's people and politics that actually get in the way of price changes. Pricing is something that's a little scary because we haven't done a lot of it um, we, in, our, in our careers. We never really learned how to do it in our careers. You know, some of us, even if we have an MBA, we took one course and it was really, really theory-based. And so right. all of a sudden, because you have something that's kind of ambiguous, um, kind of scary – and affects everyone, it affects sales, finance, marketing, product, affects everyone, you have this perfect storm of, you know, someone saying, oh, well, I don't think that's true. And no one having data to basically support or basically contradict what that person says. And so it's, it's, it's pretty scary. And that's why we were really talk about data. And it doesn't have to be a lot of data. It can be qualitative data. But um, more specifically on that note, like I have seen time and time again a VP of sales who didn't, wasn't involved in the beginning, wasn't involved in the process, um, you know, even if they have all the data in the world telling, you know, the company that the pricing should go in one direction, just because that salesperson wasn't involved, he or she will raise their hands and be like, no, this is not going to work. This isn't going to work. I know this isn't true. We can't raise prices. We can't raise prices. And it's not always a VP of sales. I don't want to pick on them. Um, it, it definitely is a lot of times, though. Um, but that's that happens all the time. And so normally what we recommend doing is, is kind of being a lot more dispassionate about it approaching it with a framework mindset, um, getting those people involved internally as early as possible, and, and ultimately using kind of that momentum to make smaller changes over time and not making this a giant project full of politics and, you know, full of egos and all kinds of other fun stuff that are really, really hard to manage. Yeah, and, and you, know, you know what I, I see sometimes, and I don't want to knock coaching and mastermind programs because I – belong to them and they're great i am a coach and a consultant myself so i don't want to cast any aspersions and i'm glad to see that in the work that the programs i belong to do and in my own work we don't see this but unfortunately in so many cases we do is i'm going to give you by example of a story this is somebody who at one point was a client of my firm years and years and years ago and i've also been a client of hers and she belonged to a mastermind and she presented that she wanted to work with the mastermind to design strategies for uh, you know, helping her get more clients for her own form of coaching business. And it was a, a very heart-centered type of thing. It wasn't really a hard type of business, what have you. So she was looking to own her, H-O-N-E, own, as in modify, her marketing message. She was looking mm. for things to be aware of in the marketplace to help her get in front of more of the right people. And rather than help her with that, they just immediately jumped on and say, oh, what are you charging for this? Oh, you're charging $500 a mm. session? Oh, no, 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 no. You don't do that. You, you yeah. now charge $5,000 a session to work with you personally, and then you only deal with 5% of those. Everybody else, you need to hire a team of coaches, and they charge 1500 you think that mm. might freak somebody out? 
Yeah, it's so uncomfortable, right? Because she, you know, she, she at that was, point she, she was, was basically riding, she was riding high on five hundred dollars an hour, and she was just saying, "I want to get more of this," and maybe through that process she could have gotten herself up to seven hundred and fifty an hour, maybe even a thousand an hour. Maybe she could have identified three different types of coaching and mentoring with three different price points. But the challenge that she ran into is rather than even hear what she was saying and hearing what she was asking. They basically jumped on her and gave her the old, well, you got to add a zero to this, and you got to outsource this. you mm-hmm. got to build a team. Well, she's about as interesting in building a team as she was as triggering an aneurysm in herself, so that didn't work. And um, <laughs> how, do we go from, how do we go from heart center to add a zero to it? There's a complete mismatch in market message there. And unfortunately, I see folks who probably are due for a price hike. I mean, for the work that she does, having myself experienced some of that work, I felt like I was getting away with something at $500 an hour. I should have been paying 750 an hour. And later on, when she had raised her prices a bit, I was thrilled to pay because I knew the value I was getting. And I think we're going to talk about some of that in the, over the course of the hour, too, is how to create reactions where I actually feel like I should have been paying more and I'm happy to do so later on. So with all that, with all that, that could really trigger some fear there. And Patrick, in your experience, are there any other messages that folks who are maybe considering raising their prices or changing the value proposition to justify a higher price, they make the move to do it, and then they get this feedback that just scares them back into their current position? Yeah, I think you bring up a really interesting point there because if if you try and this is what a lot of people do with pricing they 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 make it into this big ambiguous project right where all of a sudden you know someone came in and was like hey raise your prices 5000 and and even if they said that in a you know calming kind of you know manner that you know really resonated with with the person you were talking about it's still really scary right because all of a sudden you've gone you're adding a zero you're 10xing and and it doesn't sound like they they necessarily understood what what she wanted out of the business either right and so i think right. that the, the biggest thing is 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 think more incrementally right because again your price is the exchange rate on that value that you're providing and your price is a function of the actual number you're charging the um goals of your business in this particular case maybe she doesn't need that much you know maybe she she wants to only have 10 clients or maybe she wants to have 50 clients right and and have a lower price point but it's also a function of your packaging like what is being included in that and then even your positioning as well and so all of those things kind of come into play and you can increment on those over time. So we really recommend people starting small and basically going after, you know, let's just do one thing, right? Let's just focus on the number or let's just focus on, you know, how can you, you know, package your product properly, those types of things. But it, it's, that's the biggest thing I would say when, when kind of faced with this fear. And, and I would also say that make sure you have that data. I know it's something I'm going to harp on probably too many times in this hour. But no, that's good. That, that really helps. I think they could go out and they could basically ask, you know, 50 people based on, hey, this is, you know, this is the experience of an existing customer and the willingness to pay. And maybe that's the, like you had, you know, thousand, two thousand, et cetera, dollars an hour, more than happy to pay that because you've had the experience. Here's the data from someone who has never heard of her and is looking for help and might really want that help. And then essentially taking that data and being like, okay, cool. Once someone has an experience with her, 
they love it and they're willing to pay so much more. But before that, they're not willing to pay as much. So let's have a starter package and then a platinum package, right? Which is the case with a lot of courses and coaching and things like that. So long story short, it's, it's that data that starts to reveal essentially how that structure is. But even with that data, as your, your, your friend and colleague had, there's a decision to be made about what type of company you want to be. And maybe it's a company that is, has thousands, if not millions of customers at lower price points. Maybe it's something where you only have 10, but they're at really, really high price points. And you know, yeah. maybe it's a company where it's just her, and maybe it's a company that has thousands of employees, right? That's a big factor with pricing that not a lot of people think about is, is basically what you want to be when you grow up, as they say. Yeah. Yeah, that that that's very true. And you know, I even went through some of that uh, between the years of 2015 and 2017. I went through a process of having to answer that exact question: What do I want to be when I grow up? And I'm a big believer in fast cash strategies myself, because more entrepreneurs and business creators than are willing to admit it live in cash flow mode. That's just the nature of the beast. That's the reality of how things go. And not having enough cash on hand or having to put energy into figuring out how am I going to pay my bills this month or it's the end of the quarter, how am I going to pay the IRS my quarterlies, all these things that come up and just that energy of even if you have enough money, knowing that's basically all the money you have and you have nothing left over to show for all of your work that quarter, that can be very debilitating. And when you're, you know, mm -hmm. even if you, your business is moving along, the fact that you're short on money and really, you could just use a damn break and being able to raise some cash pretty quickly. Now, what I see happen sometimes, and this is where, to a degree, I even encourage, encourage people to push back. One of the fast cash strategies is, well, pick that thing that even though you hate doing it, uh, you can make a lot of money at it very quickly. Well, here's the reality of what happens to that a lot of times. Because you hate doing it, you're already going into it with the wrong mind frame. Uh, it's mm, going to yeah. be an energy drain for you from the jump, from the jump. It's going to be an energy drain for you. It's going to feel like you're actually reversing your progress because, come on, I said two years ago I don't want to do that anymore, so i got to keep doing it so I can eventually have something I want to do? It doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't make any sense at yeah. all. So, totally. We look, so, yeah, so you'd think, you'd think these people would ask, why can't I just raise my rates? Now, I mentioned earlier in the example of my colleague, and I alluded to this with the whole thing about the fast cash strategies, which I believe in. And I do fast cash strategies in my own business, and I guide my clients to do the same thing. It's a very powerful thing, but I also encourage all of us to do it for the right reasons using the right methods. So maybe there's – so instead of doing that thing you hate and just rallying yourself with thinking about the goal that all that extra money is going to bring you – why not find the thing mm. you love and just do more of it? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, a, yeah. and, make, and make it and make it easy and, and lower the barrier to entry. You hit on something, Patrick. I thought was brilliant, and uh, and I can't wait to get into the quantitative side of this. Quantitative side of this. I know you're going to speak with, with more about data, and we're going to get there in just a moment. But um, you know what I'm seeing more of in the industry is I'm seeing these pop-up groups where it's a very short-term program. It's maybe a, a week or two. People pay $500 for it. They get one specific thing handled, and that's great. I've seen 30-day coaching mm. programs that cost $1,500. They get one specific thing done, and it's great. And then from there, folks who go through those short-term programs, 
receive the opportunity to invest in something that's longer term or higher level. But you hit, said something very, very powerful, which is give folks the opportunity to experience one result quickly with you before asking them to sign away their firstborn child. And I think that's an error that yeah, we've seen 100%. with a lot of coaching and mastermind programs. There, and there are great ones out there, but when you do the math, you're basically committing to paying $50,000 over 12 months, potentially to somebody you've yeah. never invested in before. Why not offer those people the opportunity to see what you can do and then envision themselves getting 12 times this? Now we're dealing with very simple math that even I can do. All that being said, Patrick, why shouldn't folks focus on their product or their growth first? After all I just said about products and growth, why shouldn't we focus? I think I, I – you know what it is? It, it really it, – it's, you know, it's terrible, right? Because as, as, you know, as you as a business owner and someone who's worked in, in the, the, the game for a long time and, and you know, even, even on my side as well, like you, you find yourself – you know, well, you have to do everything, right? And so it's it's a game of kind of like what is the order of operations, right? So like what what do you yeah. do first, or what do you do mostly, or what do you do half? And I think that to me, if you focus on product and growth out of the gate, it's not that those things are unimportant, and you're going to have to focus on them on some level. What ends up happening is you get hooked exactly on what you were saying with the fast cash strategy. You get hooked on okay, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, like in this cycle, this really, really weird cycle that all of a sudden you you feel like you're constantly being reactionary. And if you right. did some basic research, especially around pricing, because remember, exchange rate on the value, so you got to understand your customer because they're the ones who are going to pay it. You got to understand what's going to make them pay X versus X plus Y. If you do that research, all of a sudden – all of those other decisions, products, growth, pricing, sales, marketing, etc., all of those other decisions start to compound and become easier. Because if I find out that I'm selling to sales Sally between one and five salespeople and she's willing to pay this or he or she likes this feature, doesn't like this feature, etc., all of a sudden I, I can make better product decisions. I can make better growth and marketing decisions. And most of the time, we get a little bit of success. We get a little bit of success where someone signs up for that you know, five grand a month course or someone signs up for that $500 webinar. We get a little bit of success, and then all of a sudden, we, we just want to go all in on that success without kind of being a little bit more methodical, a little bit more professorial about where that growth comes from. And so ultimately, that's why I wouldn't go all in on product and growth right away, although those are obviously very, very important. You've got to balance it with that research and that pricing, et cetera. All right, let's talk about research and let's talk about data because I can tell you're actually kind of excited to do so. Um, how <laughs> you like my life, man. So let, so let me start with an open-ended question, and depending on how you, how you share with us, we'll drill it down even further. How do you identify the price your customers are willing to pay? We're halfway through. Let's just ask the question. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, and whenever someone asks me this, uh, it's always like, you know, the expectations are some magic formula or some, you know, special way to do it. And in actuality, it just comes down to what I already said, which is talking to your customers. Now, you have to talk to your customers in the right way. And I'm not talking about, hey, John, like, how much are you willing to pay for this, right? That's not going to get you the right answer. There's going to be too much bias, all kinds of problems with the way you ask. 
the better way to ask um, is to take advantage of how human beings think about value. So we think about value in a spectrum-like manner. So we know the glass of water in front of me is naturally less expensive than the computer that I'm that I'm you know typing on or I'm, I'm working on, right? We just naturally know that because we purchased these things in the past, but we've also we have the anchoring effect of, of what we get out of that glass of water versus, you know, that particular computer. You put me, you know, seven days without water in the desert, I'm not going to want to buy a computer. I'm going to want to buy that glass of water for as much money as I basically need to pay. I, I, I right? can has water. I can has water right meow. Yeah. <laughs> you start to, yeah, yeah, your brain no, exactly. starts to play tricks on you. You start to see oases. Mirages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Totally. And so – you can take advantage of this by asking ranged questions. So the nice little hack that we'd like to use is instead of asking you one question about, hey, how much are you willing to pay for this? We like to ask people, at what point is this way too expensive that you would never consider purchasing it? At what point is it getting expensive, but you'd still consider purchasing it? At what point is this a good deal? And at what point is this too cheap that you question the quality of it? And what's really cool is that those four questions, and you could use them for – Mastermind courses, subscriptions, anything under the sun, and, and, and we've seen it work out for all types of different products. But when you ask those four questions, you actually can take that data, and with some basic math, and I promise you it's pretty straightforward, you can do it in Google Sheets or Excel, you actually start to figure out what that price elasticity looks like. So you can actually start to see, oh, if I raise my price this much, I'm going to lose this much sales, or I'm going to gain this much sales, depending on where your price point is. And those questions are right. super important in, as a group because a lot of us are producing products that we might be priced at that $500, but it might be too cheap or it might seem too cheap. And that's what's so fascinating about the coaching and mastermind industry is that if someone was selling you a mastermind for $100, you would be like, eh, this, this must not be worth it, right? Because all of the industry, a lot of folks in the industry are selling for thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. So that group of questions is really important. And depending on if you're sending out a survey or if you're doing them, you know, actually asking someone physically in front of you, you might only ask two of the four questions. But it's one of those things where asking in ranges is super powerful. Right. And when I think about all of those things and how we get to that quantitative data and how we come to the understanding of what price elasticity is, because that's a, a term I've seen thrown around pretty frequently. And I've seen a lot of folks attempt to identify it. And I think you've done more to help us identify where that price elasticity can exist. And I could even learn to pronounce the word someday just by asking those four very important <laughs> questions. I think a lot of what's missing in terms of this whole thing is what are the questions to ask? So, uh, folks, if you're listening to this live, go back and subscribe on iTunes. Be sure to get the replay of this. And go back and listen to what Patrick just said about those four questions. That is very, very important. So you know, we're raising our price here, and we're identifying the price that customers are willing to pay. And let's say we found out that, oh, my goodness gracious, I've been charging – $50 an hour for this where I could have been getting 100 and people wouldn't have even been blinking. So now I got to go back to my current customers because it's one thing and I see this a lot we give, we want to keep talking about subscription programs they say sign up now for your monthly rate of $99 and you will lock in this rate for 3 years regardless of any price increases. Now, you know full well that when folks go in and make those types of promises within 3 years the price could increase by 10 bucks. 
So in the end of three years, mm. they might be paying 109 or 115 bucks as opposed to 99. But still, when you amortize that over three years, that's a pretty significant savings. And that's a good reason to sign up now rather than waiting till later. But that's also not tenable. But that's on the same page. That's not tenable when somebody finds out they've been charging $50 an hour for something that the market would give them $100 an hour for, not even blink. In fact, they can look at it and very easily see that their competitors are charging twice as much and offering less. I, I used to get that feedback back when I used to have a web development company. Is we charged so little and we gave so much more to the marketplace. And that was one of the most debilitating things I ever heard. So you're in a situation you realize you've got to raise your rates because you're now at the point where you're ripping yourself off. How do you go about that yeah. one? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, the first thing is, is you're going to lose customers no matter if you lower, raise, announce any pricing change. Um, a lot of people use it as an excuse who weren't really ready to go. And so the reason I'm bringing this up first is you want to get yourself in the mindset that it's not about the short-term keeping of that one, two, three customers. It's more about the long-term of, of extending, basically getting what you're worth on the bulk of your customers and the majority of your customers. And so when you start working on this, again, go to back to the data. That's really important to understand where you can raise those prices and where you should raise those prices in particular. And it can be qualitative. It doesn't have to be quantitative. But using some of the questions that we talked about, it's super, super powerful. Now, beyond that, at, once you've kind of realized that, you've done a little bit of your homework, then you kind of have to, as they say, kill your darlings, right? Where are you going to raise that price? And what are you going to give up, right? Because some of those customers who are on that $50 plan, they're on the $50 plan because it's at $50, and they're not really the customer who's going to pay $100 as well. So again, you're going to lose some of those folks. But then as right. you kind of get the the guts or the you know, the ability or the confidence to start to raise your price and actually make the announcement, there's a lot of little tactical things that we can do. Um, one of which is making sure that as you're rolling out this pricing change, you're doing a little bit of an analysis about what the effective percentage increase is going to look like. And the reason that this is important is that what we found is that if you raise your prices beyond 50% at one single time, so over 50%, like let's say you're doubling your price, if you're doing that, you're going to lose NPS pretty considerably, even if those customers stick around. And the reason is, is because it's just a big thing to, to swallow, right? And some of us out of circumstance, we have to raise our prices, you know, doubling or more because we just realized, oh my gosh, we're losing so much money. This is the only way we're going right. to survive. But in actuality, if you discover that data is, you know, something where it's like, oh man, we're way underpriced you want to raise that price incrementally. And what that might mean is, for current customers, you might raise it by 25, 30, maybe 50%, depending on the relationship that you have with those customers. But then a year or two years down the line, then you're going to raise it to kind of get up to where you should be, if that makes sense. On your new customers, you can just start raising the prices almost immediately. And what's kind of cool about it is it'll clear out your lead funnel because of exactly what you said, which is, hey, we're you know, raising your prices, you can reserve the you know, old price for the next year, just like you said, um, if, if you sign up now. And then for those new customers, you raise it to where that, that is in particular. And kind of bring this back and maybe a little bit more practical, what's really interesting kind of on a tactical basis is that 
customers are typically more than happy to get what's called a grandfather discount. So if I'm going to raise my prices on our customers, what I would say is something like, hey, you've been so loyal, thank you so much. We've added so much to the software. We've made it so much better. We're going to raise your prices because of that. But because you've been so loyal, we're going to give you the same price you've been paying for the next year. And then after that year, you'll be bumped up to the new price. That's a really, really easy thing for customers to swallow. And it's one of those things that if you combine that with only making sure you're incrementally raising things and not giving them such a high sticker shock, it's one of those things where all things being equal, you can actually really effectively raise the prices. Um, the other thing to really keep in mind, and I kind of alluded to it already, is that it's really important the way you communicate this. So if you're not backed into a corner and have to raise your prices by 3x or something like that, you want to really make sure that you are aligning when you raise your prices to kind of like a nice peak of customer satisfaction. So making sure that you've published, you know, that extra piece of content or that extra feature or that extra kind of gift that they got really kind of boosts that NPS as much as possible or that customer satisfaction because you're going to lose some of that when you raise prices, not because the pricing isn't justified, but just because like if we're used to paying one thing, we don't necessarily want to pay that much more for it, even if we're more than willing to pay for it, if that makes sense. Right. So just to highlight one thing, basically what you do is you go to your current customers and you announce that there is going to be a price hike, uh, but it's going to take place in X amount of time. So for the next X amount of months or X amount of what have you, you'll still hold the old rate, but then at that point it's going to go up. Is that what you said? Yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that, and, that, and that can work in that can work in some things. Uh, although, you know, the truth be told, you know, we do get into cases, and I've seen this with clients where uh, they were charging fifty dollars an hour for something just to you know use a number that our audience can easily follow, and this should have been twice that. So, yeah. it get there, there 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 are things that come up, and I think you address this very well, where you literally just cannot go on another day charging that because you are murdering your business. By continuing to charge that rate even yeah. one more day. Yeah, you recognize that you allowed that to happen up until now. But with that awareness of what the market is actually willing to bear. And then when you find out, wait a minute, I'm charging $50 an hour and I'm delivering quality. And my competitors are charging $100 an hour and they're, <laughs> and they're delivering crap that people are complaining about. And here's something I see a lot with folks. And this is something that got me fired up and created the whole idea behind the Business Creators Institute and helping people win at the game of business and marketing, say thrive, thrive from the intersection of their brilliance and passion, not just volunteer, volunteer from the intersection of their brilliance and passion. Thrive. That's where this all comes from. <laughs> is yeah, yeah. You'll have that like person that. who's charging $50 an hour that will have a conversation with somebody where they give some of their best information, and then that prospect doesn't even say thank you. They just disappear. And then a mm. year later, they come back and they say, well, you know, I ended up working with so-and-so who's your competitor, and they charged me $20,000 to do this, and they didn't do anything. So I really need your help, and I can't even afford you, but I want you to do it anyway. And by the way, uh, is there any chance because <laughs> we're friends I could get a discount besides? Now, I'm going to say this for the benefit of our listeners, but the first thing that goes to your mind is, fuck you, you should have worked with me a year ago when I told you to. Because that's how people really yeah. feel. Like, goodness gracious. 
you're going to come back to me when I offered you the deal of the century. You go to my competitor. They charge you three times as much, and they rip you off. And now you want me to not only guarantee this old rate that I offered you a year ago, but you want me to give you a discount on top of it and swallow your mistake and literally pay for the mistake that you made? <laughs> no. No. Yeah. This is where I learned. I love that. This is where I learned something very important when it comes to contracting and the formation of agreements. Is we had the situation where we had a prospect where we quoted them a rate for something, and I'm going to say it was five thousand dollars. Well, they went away, mm-hmm. and they decided they want to do it that time, and then they came back to us six months later, and they wanted to do like a piece of that thing that we had quoted. And our rate at that time for doing a piece of it was $5,000 because while they were off playing, mm. we were raising rates. And they said, well, but, but here, look at this. I, I have this email from you from six months ago, and you were going to do all this stuff for just $5,000. And now you want us to pay $5,000 for just this one thing? This is where I learned something very important. When you're writing an agreement, put an expiration date on it. So yep. if you're giving yep. some a rate, that rate is good for 30 days from the production of that document. And if they don't take up on it in 30 yep. days, on day 31, and this is even a recommended tactic, on, if they come back to you on day 31, especially if you've followed up and they haven't responded to you at all, on day 31 you say, well, you know, I gave you the rate and I checked in with you three times. Uh, I didn't receive a response from you. Well, that was our rate 30 days ago. Our rate now is $6,000. Yeah. No, I love it. And, this is and, just great. And, this, and part, is, this is the, super yeah. smart. And part of the teaching behind that tactic is to train your customer that they don't get to be a wishy-washy pain in the ass. That when you make an offer, that means <laughs> you are offering you are offering to move them forward. You are offering to solve their problem. You are offering to get them the result that they need. And if they're not taking you up on the offer to get what they need, to solve their problem, mm. to experience the results, then they need to pay more for the opportunity to do that later. Because that train yeah. pulled out of the station. It's all like, it's all like the train's going to pull out of the station. And they're going to say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. So-and-so who knew full well that this train was pulling out for the past month just bought a ticket. Let's rewind the train 500 feet so they can get on. It doesn't work that way, folks. Nope. I love that. No, it's oh, good. Yeah. I think it's just it's yeah. one of those things. Don't train your train your customers. Train them the right way, not the wrong way. Right. Now, one of the things we we're going to ask is how do you raise your prices and not lose customers? And you revealed to us that sometimes we do have to kill our darlings and we may end up losing customers. But here's what I've seen from folks who have raised their prices successfully. I'm going to give you an example. I'm not going to call them out because uh, I know they're listeners of this show because uh, they've given me feedback on it. But they have um, a sort of therapy practice. I'm just going to say that. I'm, I'm not going to say anything more so we don't identify them. So they were charging uh, $125 an hour for their therapy. It's not actually therapy, but I'm just using it as a label. Uh, and then they got some media exposure. And we're talking major media exposure, the kind that gets your phone ringing off the hook. So they, as a matter of necessity, had to jack up those rates. Rates now $250 an hour. And what they found is not only were they working with clients that were more fun to work with, but they were actually turning more people away at 250 an hour than they were turning away at 125 an hour. It's like not only did they get to work with better clients, 
but they have more prospects at a higher rate as opposed to, well, if I raise my rates, people aren't going to work with me. I love that. Yeah, it's one of those things where that's 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 really what it is about killing your darlings, which is like, oh, that, that like, let's say the person wasn't uh, wasn't kind of you know pushing the limit of what you were just describing, which was a great great kind of thing to walk through. Meaning, they're not coming back to you on day thirty two and being like, hey, sorry, I didn't respond to any of your emails. Maybe they're maybe they're a really nice prospect, right? But it's one of those things where some of those prospects, you know, they can consume your content. They can, you know, consume the free stuff that you're giving away already. The people that are really interesting to work with are the people who actually value what you're providing, and those people are going to pay for it. The people who are going to nickel and dime you, very similar to how you like to be treated as a customer, or don't like to be treated as a customer, I should say, those people who are going to nickel and dime you are the ones that it's just going to make the life so much harder when you're actually serving that customer, um, particularly because they just, they're just they not the people who appreciate what you're offering. Yeah, that's that's very true. Uh, I mean, I, I, can, I can give an example, and this is from somebody who uh, was uh, – owned a digital marketing firm is they had this one client where they had a very specific agreement about what was in the agreement and what was going to be offered. And they had this client that kept coming back trying to argue that they had agreed to, think, to do things for this client they'd never agreed to. And uh, the client wasn't even sure what they were paying for. And, uh, and the digital marketing provider kept saying, well, just it's in the agreement. Just go back and review that. Let me know if you have any questions about what's in the agreement or if we need to modify the agreement. And the client would kept saying, well, I, I don't know where that thing is, and they'd keep resending it to them, and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so finally, this digital marketing service provider gets to the point where they can look at that agreement, and they can check off and say, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. All the bullet points are checked off, and they can answer how they did that bullet point. So we delivered the whole thing. And they go to the client, and they say, good news, we've made it, we've arrived at the promised land, we've done the work, and let's have our wrap-up session so we can get you going with these results. And five minutes later, the client comes back to them and says, bullshit, you didn't do anything for me. And all of a sudden, <laughs> they have a scanned copy of that agreement with handwriting all over it. And you can tell it's been crinkled. You can tell coffee's been spilled on it. It's got, it's got bent corners and everything else. You know that agreement the client couldn't find? Mm. But all of a sudden, But all of a sudden, when the client is told that, their little game of trying to squeeze extra thing into the agreements is now coming to a, a definite end because we're done. Oh, well, the gravy train stopped. Oh, whoa. And that agreement that they didn't have, they couldn't find, they probably had never even read. They've been staring at it every day. Now compare that yeah. to now compare that to having a client, and I talk about this in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, because this actually happened with a friend of mine uh, who was a web designer. Um, I call her Carly in the book, but that's not her real name. Uh, she had a client where she uh, had done some things with the client, and the client liked it. Good stuff. Client comes back to her and says, hey, you know, I, you know, I was wondering if you could do this for me now. I think this is in your wheelhouse. And so what Carly does, because she's been programmed to do this because of this fear of raising prices and scarcity and everything else, she gets back to the client and says, hey, you know, you know what, I'm happy to do so. I uh, just have a couple questions for you. Because she had been programmed in her mind that to simply say, yes, this is the price, let's do it, was something that would cause a reaction. So she had to make it look like she was being thoughtful, even though she understood the client perfectly. And so the next morning, the client mm -hmm. wrote to her and said, the client said, 
Carly, please tell me we haven't wasted a whole day already on you waiting on a quote okay from me. You know me well. You know that I have more money than time. And what I don't have time for is this jacking around. So you can do the work. Mm. I know you can do the work. Tell me how much. Charge my card. And let's get going. Now, in the, in the world of scarcity and fear, she might have literally crawled under her desk in the fetal position like, oh, my God, what have I done? And, in fact, she almost had that reaction, <laughs> as she told me. But then she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is this guy really saying? And she decided to try something. This was a risk on her part. But she wrote back to the client. In the, in the book, we call him Vic. And she said, Vic, I am so happy that we have the kind of working relationship where we have this level of, of trust in each other. I'm letting you know that I've just charged your American Express card on file for the amount of $3,750. I will have a draft from you a week from Thursday. If you have any questions in the meantime, let me know. That was a risk. And she actually did charge his card $3,750 because what she read in his email was like, are you really telling me you sat around and waited for me to say it was okay? So she took that risk knowing that if he got pissed off, she could just refund the money. And he wrote back saying, wow, Grasshopper, you learn quickly. Can't wait to see the draft. If you have any questions up here, <laughs> take care. <laughs> so that was a That's very I love rough that. that was a very rough feeling in the dark with the blindfold on lesson about how sometimes the issue with pricing has to do with the marketing and who you're communicating with and how you're communicating with them. This jerk of a client of hers was actually taking time out of his very busy practice to mentor her on the joys of working with affluent <laughs> other folks out there who aren't lessons. So I think a great way as we roll towards the end of this is to, you know, what insights do you have on, you know, aside from everything you've already shared with us, just getting out of working with blood sucking vampires and getting towards the type of clients that will be enthusiastic about paying us more in exchange for great results. Uh, some of this may be recap of what you've already shared, but since we're near the top, let's recap it now. Yeah, absolutely. I think, frankly, and it's kind of how we started started the show. It, it's you got You probably are underpriced right now. Raising your prices, I think, is is something where all of a sudden that starts to kind of get rid of those those folks that you're referring to, and then making sure that you actually are charging for the things that you're doing. Another time, especially on that proposal, you know, story that you were telling, they were probably doing everything without basically charging those individuals. You're doing stuff out of scope, and it's the most the best words that you can say are hey we're more than happy to do that but it's out of scope i'm more than happy to send over an additional scope and and the additional charge for what that is and yeah going a little bit further that particular buyer persona kind of stuff that we talked about that's super powerful because those you know affluent people in the story that you just said sometimes they're terrible to work with uh, they're paying a lot but they're terrible and there's no money that's worth you know dealing with some folks like that and so it yeah. just really comes down to who do you want to sell to and what are you going to sell them because in some cases if you know he or she is just selling to that person in a way that it's you know doesn't have to be that stressful or doesn't have to have that situation then that's great other times they might be okay with that if the money's high enough but if you pick that customer right. and you understand that price and you're charging for what you're worth, 
which is something you can measure. It's not a psychological thing you have to think about. It's something you can actually measure. Then you start to get rid of those types of customers. And ultimately, the, yeah. the other one thing that I said previously that I think is really applicable to this question is you also have to understand what kind of business you want. If, if it's something where you want to build a $100 million business, you're going to have to deal with some of those bloodsuckers and try to figure out how to deal with them and how to scale them and train them, etc. If you just want a really successful coaching business or a really successful digital marketing consulting business, you can be choosy with who you go after and who you work with. And those are typically the most successful vendors that I like to hire, mainly because they're very, very upfront about what they do and what they don't do, rather than the vendor who's going to charge me the lowest price, but it's all wishy-washy, and I'm not really sure if the you know product's going to be good or not, because I'm not getting any direction from them. Um, so those are the really, the really big things in terms of not kind of going after those you know very problematic types of customers, and, and making sure that ultimately you're charging for what you're worth. Yeah, and I, as I said about affluent customers, sometimes they can be real jerks, and that's the distinction you have to make. Are they just somebody who's just a complete jag-off, as somebody from Pittsburgh would say, or is that perception <laughs> that they're a jerk actually just an expression of their character? Here's something that we need to understand about the affluent buyer, especially from an affluent buyer who wasn't always affluent, is, and when you recognize this, it becomes so powerful for you. They get off on their power to make wide-ranging decisions very quickly with limited ranges of data. So when we had the case of, of Carly, who wanted to charge $3,750 for a project, she had been conditioned by working with bloodsuckers and bottom feeders that uh, they would take that as a personal insult and attack her character for asking that type of money. But now she's working with someone, mm -hmm. Vic, who, who thinks she's great. She does great work. And he wants more of that great work. And to him, $3,750 is a bargain when he's dealing with somebody who knows mm -hmm. what they're doing. They're going to deliver a great product with little need for help. They're just going to be able to do it because they know what they're doing. They're qualified. They're competent. They're dedicated. They're passionate. And he's going to get it quickly. He's not going to have to wait for weeks or months. He has that understanding. And he just gets off on the fact that he can just make snap decisions like, well, so $3,800 for this? It's nothing. Do it. And it was actually a bit of a surprise to him that somebody would question whether that was actually a discussion. I, and to him, that's like ordering lunch. To somebody who's used to, to <laughs> blood-sucking vampires, that's, that's like walking on hot coals that actually are hot, not those fake hot coals like they have at the Tony Robbins events. But these are the ones that really are hot that will burn you. <laughs> And that's a that's a, a that's a big jump that's a big jump to make. So so in that case, we argue that Vic was yeah he's kind of a brutish abrasive person, and that's what makes him great at the work that he does. And it's that same enjoyment of being a wealthy affluent customer that gives him the bandwidth to say, I will very easily commit a lot of money to you without even a discussion because I am confident that you'll do the work. I'd love to have more customers like that. Yeah. So, so I think so. I think that also goes into a mindset thing: is is the person really being a jerk, or are they just are they just expressing their power in a way that you're not used to because you're used to having to, to uh, tiptoe around the situation? And if we can get 
around that, I think that's going to be one of the most powerful outcomes for our listeners. Now, we are now at the top of the hour. We have three minutes left, and I want to give one of those to you, Patrick. If you could please share with our listeners how you serve business creators from the intersection of your brilliance and passion and what they can do to take the next step with you to start resolving this price issue. Yeah, absolutely. So we we essentially do the research and the data side of, of everything that we talked about, and we do it in a, you know it's a little bit hard to to talk through those graphs and that data on a on a you know show here, but um, we we go really in depth into picking out that customer and things like that. And and one thing that we do offer are, are free pricing audits. So uh, if you you know need someone to to basically tell you to charge more, or you need someone to uh, take a look at your business a little bit and just kind of tell you, hey, this is this is the biggest problem here. It's not your price point. It's your packaging or it's your customer or those types of things, um, you can feel free to email me at pc at profitwell.com, um, and we'll hook you up with uh, with our pricing team. That's fantastic. And, and uh, let's let's say your website one more time, www.profitwell.com. Yep, and then www.priceintelligently.com. we got two domains. It's a little confusing, but uh, once you go to the, the pricing one in particular, it'll be a little bit clearer. Okay, so let's say that second domain. Say that one more time just so our listeners fully get it. Yep, priceintelligently.com. I, lo- I, lo- I love that. Uh, not only a domain, but also a call to action. So priceintelligently.com. Patrick Campbell, <laughs> thank you so much for being thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. Thank you. I appreciate the time and uh thanks for having me. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. Please take a moment, check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and subscribe to us on iTunes. Till next time, have a great day. Take care.